0: It's kind of like Let It Be for the Beach Boys, you know, it's it's 65. And it's not because of Brian, it's it's because of all of them.
1: and welcome back to the sail on podcast this is wyatt in nashville tennessee joined as always by my homie jason brewer
2: what's shaking everybody
1: well we've been moving and a grooving thumping and a pumping as always my favorite and uh (laughs) we're playing some shows with the tribute band called sail on And uh, we met a few fun folks at our recent shows. I wanted to say thanks to Donnie, David, and Sam for coming to see us in Huntsville. And uh, if you caught us at uh, any of those shows and you're just tuning in, well, hey, thanks for listening and thanks for coming to see us. We have a few upcoming shows this weekend in the Sunshine State. Isn't that right, J.B.?
2: We are definitely coming down to that Sunshine State to see you guys. we got four dates, and those dates are as follows. February 14th, we're playing in Madison, Florida. February 15th, we're playing in Boca Raton. February 16th, Stewart, Florida. And February 17th, in Clearwater. If you want specifics on all those shows, head over to SailOnSounds.com.
1: Yep, would be great to see some new faces. And if you've seen us before, come on down. We'd love to see you again. Anyway, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, we are going to start off today with some emails. First one comes from Liam and Cormac. Hi, Wyatt and Jason. Liam O'Malley here, and my nine year old son, Cormac, writing from New York City. We both really enjoy your podcasts. I knew you guys were the real deal when you devoted your third episode to Gary Usher. If you have not yet, you must find the Gary Usher teenage exploitation masterpiece, The Go Sound of the Slots by the Revels. Cormac and I are big fans of the song My Ferrari GTO. My Ferrari 250 GTO
0: My Ferrari, GTO. My Ferrari GTO Burns up the slot now and
2: she never run slow. I've challenged and beat the best in town. They come on strong but I shut them all down. I race real cool and never take a spill. I'll take on anyone for the thrill. I flat out the straights and broadside in the turn. With full current on those big sticks really burn. I run a 600 for my mil. It's never lost yet and it never
1: will. I race real cool never take a spill. I'll take on anyone for the thrill. Back to the Beach Boys. I really like the immediate post-surfing hot rod era, all summer long, today, and summer days, summer nights being my favorites. And I Get Around being probably my favorite single. Cormac, became a fan very early on. We took a trip to Los Angeles when he was four and did a Beach Boys, Jan and Dean tour starting at the Capitol Records building and ending on the Pacific Coast Highway in our friend's 32 Hot Rod. We are listening to all the episodes together and are really enjoying the depth of detail you are going into. Although you should have spent more time on Cherry Cherry Coop, we've just listened to All Summer Long Again to prep for your next podcast. You guys should play in the Northeast. And now from Cormac. Hi, I became a Beach Boys fan around the age of four, when my dad showed me an early live bootleg entitled The Lost Concert, 1964. Now, I listen to the Beach Boys frequently, have two of their records, Today and 20 Golden Greats, and have an endless summer poster hanging in my bedroom, despite having never listened to that compilation. Note to self, listen to that already. Currently, my favorite Beach Boys album is 2020, although my favorite Beach Boys song, not to mention favorite song of all time, is Till I Die. I also have a few questions for you. Great. Number one, what will you do after you finish all the albums? Number two, will you cover all the live albums and compilations? Number three, where can I download the Beach Boys version? I do, especially that one. I'm desperate. Can you get some of your other band members on the podcast? Thanks in advance. Thanks, guys. We're looking forward to hearing more. Liam and Cormac O'Malley. So after we finish all
2: the albums, Wyatt, in like 30 years, um, (laughs) I'm sure we'll still have plenty to talk about. Um, You know, I'm sure, you know, I think Wyatt has discussed this before on previous episodes, somewhat of the plan. So I'll let you take that one.
1: Well, I think there's a lot to cover. I mean, we are going to probably move through everything like we've been doing, you know, and kind of sneaking in other stuff in the meantime. In between the albums like you mentioned the gary usher episode and roger christian focusing on the members of the band as well as the people close to the band also the other people like the honeys and all that stuff so um i don't know we'll see how it goes i mean we've got a lot to cover so we've got at least a, a year or two more of of podcasts just working through the timeline naturally and then i guess like um we'll just see what happens from there i mean we can always get more in depth into you know specific songs or you know we want to do a lot of stuff that we'll just have to see how it goes
2: live albums and compilations totally
1: yeah we will definitely cover the live albums and compilations we already covered the uh beach boys concert album um, which was before we got this email from you guys so hopefully you listen to that and dug it and uh, we're looking forward to covering all the live albums and compilations, not so much, but I mean, we'll definitely mention them and, and talk about the release and the effect that it had on the Beach Boys career. But uh, yeah, I mean, one of Jason's favorite albums is the uh, live album from 73. So for sure. absolutely. Um, and then uh, where can you download the Beach Boys version of I Do? I don't really know that anymore because... It's on a CD. Yeah, so it was on uh, the Big Beat 1963.
2: It was on that, but also on one of the 2 Yeah, early on. and so... You, so
1: you should tell your dad to hunt that down. Yeah. I don't know where you can download it, to be honest, because it's not on iTunes or Spotify anymore. So you're going to have to do some searching, um, but the internet is your friend. And then, can we get some of the other band members on the podcast? Well, maybe... Um, We'll have to make sure that it makes sense. I think we could probably get Matt on to talk about Summer in Paradise when we get to that point, because he's one of the only people that I know that likes that album. So other than that, um, we we want to tie Mike down and make him listen to Love You. Yep, that'll be and good. And record his pain for everyone's enjoyment. Um uh, And then we can get Paul on to just um, Paul. You know, Paul really, really loves keeping the summer alive. He does. He loves the self-titled record too, which is great. But eighty-five,
2: yeah. So, you know, maybe we'll record some some good moments of him talking about that.
1: There's a lot of different opportunities, but you know, it has to make sense. Um, thank you very much, both of you guys, for writing in. Glad that um, you're digging what we're doing. And yeah, I love Cherry Cherry Coop, too. It's one of my favorite early Beach Boys songs and doesn't get enough love. Moving on, the next email we get here is from Dion. Yo, Wyatt and Jason, I want to let you guys know how much I love your podcast. I stumbled upon it by accident last Wednesday, and I've been catching up on all the episodes ever since. I got to say, I love it. I think I'm one of the younger fans of this wonderful band, 22 years old as I can't speak for all of Europe, but in my country, the Beach Boys aren't as well-known as I'd like them to be. I don't know. I don't think I know anyone who can name any Beach Boys song other than like Surf in USA and I Get Around, considering how influential and defining the band, and especially Brian, turned out to be. It makes me sad not more people know about that. My introduction to the Beach Boys has been an interesting story. I've always been very interested in complex music and vocals. My dad is a huge Queen fan, so music has been an integral part of my childhood. Although they make very different styles of music, I think you agree with me that both bands have a certain complexity to their song. Every time you listen to a song you hear new details and layers that you've never heard before. I like to believe I was programmed to love the Beach Boys from a young age. Anyway, fast forward to the time I moved away from my parents to go studying. Me and my housemates had the tradition of playing certain songs while doing the dishes. One of the songs that would regularly pass the shuffle was Kokomo. I know, I know. Right now it's nowhere near as good as their earlier work, but back then it was the perfect introduction to the band. I'd heard some of their hits before, but the beautiful harmonies in Kokomo really caught my interest. It'd be stuck in my head for days. I started to listen more of their work, although I stayed within the boundaries of their popular hits. Whenever I didn't feel like studying, I watched the videos about the Beach Boys, slowly getting to know them more and more. The thing that finally made me a full-blown fan of the band was the movie Love and Mercy. From all the documentaries I watched, I knew some stuff about Brian's life, but that movie really hit the right note for me. See what I did there? I downloaded a lot of their music through Spotify and just listened to them every day. I studied the complex vocal harmonies and the layers in the instrumental versions. That's the moment I became a Beach Boy. I'm sorry for the long wall of text, but I have never been able to share this with anyone. I love all the information you guys have about the songs, the sessions, and the boys in general. Please keep making these podcasts. You're making a great many people very happy. Much love from the Netherlands. By the way, I always really love the Explorers Club and the Ceylon Tribute Band. If you guys are ever in Europe, please visit the Netherlands. I could really use a reason to take some friends to see a Beach Boys concert, kinda. Kind regards from Dion wanted to zero in on one great
2: thing you said there Dion about how the love and mercy movie really kind of brought you full circle into being a fully uh, invested fan I mean that movie did a lot of great things for you know resurgence of interest in the band for sure and I know it was super well done and, and super kind of encapsulated the whole Brian Wilson thing so it's pretty pretty awesome that's what brought you in um I was, I was really curious when the movie came out. I was kind of thinking, well, I know I'm like a super Beach Boys fan, have been for a long time. So I wonder what someone who maybe is just a casual fan would think of this. And it's really cool to hear when people say, yeah, that movie really kind of put me over into being a fan. So that's great. Thanks for the awesome email.
1: Yep. Thank you very much, Dion. I really liked uh, what you said about um, Kokomo and how that was a great representation of the band. Because it really is like um, a lot of people's first impression of the Beach Boys, like especially my generation and Jason. Like we were, you know, little kids when Kokomo came out and it was all over the radio and MTV and stuff. So um, for me, I had already known, you know, some of the hits when I was five or six years old because my dad was always playing them. But seeing the Kokomo uh, video and hearing Kokomo all the time was really like, you know, it became such a, A big part of my summer, you know, when I was a kid and then kind of backtracking from there and being educated by my dad uh, was really, really awesome. And uh, I still have a soft spot for Kokomo, um, despite all the the cheesiness. And uh, yeah, I love the Love and Mercy movie as well. I think it's interesting that you brought up Queen. I'm a big Queen fan as well. I recently watched Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen uh, biopic or more, more, I guess the Freddie Mercury biopic, but I really enjoyed it, but I felt like there was a lot that they did that I would have rather them, um, left out or, you know, done in a different way because there were some weird things going on with the timeline in that film and, uh, not to give anything away if you haven't seen it, but, um, it just kind of bothered me. There were some things that just weren't true and they kind of, move some things around in the story to make it more dramatic. And I understand why they had to do that. But I feel like, you know, when I watched the beach boys movie, I was watching as a fan and watching as a fanatic, but also like it just didn't uh, have any of those problems for me. I really enjoyed how they presented Brian and, and Melinda and the beach boys and everybody in the, in the, in the movie was represented pretty well. I think they um, did a great job with that. So I definitely stand by that movie. I saw it, I think, five times in the theater and just still watch it a good bit now. It just really makes me happy. And I'm really glad that other people are getting into the Beach Boys through that film. Okay, our last email today comes from Dan Arnold guys i'm absolutely loving your podcast which i just discovered the other day it's crazy hearing two aficionados who love brian wilson and his boys as much as i do and who are dialed into all the subtle minutiae i've been obsessing over for 35 years when i was a wee lad i discovered a two record lp best of album in my dad's record collection no album jacket just the platters and paper sleeves I had previously been a barely aware of this group back when, other than having tangently heard some of the hits in passing TV or radio commercial. After the first spin of those jacketless LPs, I became obsessed in Due Course. I started scrounging record stores for anything I could find. This was around 1984, Get Ya Back hit number 26 in 85, and got lots of airplay, and that thrilled me because 1. I felt like I had been the only Boys fan left on the planet, and 2. I thought it was a cool song and three it had a legit music video getting rotation on mtv and four brian's falsetto background albeit not what it once was still sounded pretty darn good and it was being played on the freaking top 40 radio stations the following year made in the usa was released and i wore that cassette down to a thread i was confirmed brian wilson beach boys junkie when i got to college i started a vocal group and we performed a lot of bw tunes in 1990, we sang on all the streets all over Europe as an acapella busking act. I worked out acapella arrangements for Barbara Ann, There's No Other Like My Baby, and Get Ya Back to Beach Boys Eyes, Our Doo-Wop Set. Of course, our friends across the pond always ate up any Beach Boys material like candy. One of the greatest moments of my life was experiencing Brian Wilson live at Pier 6 in Baltimore in 2000. I loved this guy a guy whose life and anguish i'd followed for decades and i like many thought he'd never make it out alive the stories of the legends usually have sad endings gershwin belushi freddie mercury buddy holly john lennon on and on but somehow brian conquered the seemingly unconquerable and he broke the pattern and here was on stage sounding awesome being backed by an amazing young band in the wonderments it honestly felt like a religious experience I remember closing my eyes so many times that night and just letting the sonic wave wash over me as I pondered Brian's life, music, and his beautiful soul. Anyway, I've got plenty of other Beach Boys interactions that were really cool. Drinking beers with the Wondermints in a parking lot, a dinner with Mike Kowalski after an early 90s Beach Boys show in Houston. But I just want to say that what a gas it is to know you guys are out there doing what you're doing, keeping the summer alive. Brian Wilson has easily been my biggest musical influence and hero and he and his music have made my life much richer than it would have been otherwise. Brian Wilson once said, Frank Sinatra got me through high school. Well, Brian and Sinatra got me through high school and college and life, and he's still here getting me through everything. Love and mercy. Dan Arnold from Virginia.
2: Dan, awesome email. So cool to hear, especially about you <clears throat> busking on the street in the streets of Europe it was an acapella act with your friends singing <laughs> Beach Boys songs. That's pretty great. A real Beach Boys tribute, super cool. And, you know, that quote you put in on the end of your message there about Frank Sinatra got me through high school, and then you kind of uh, changed that to Brian for you. I always love that quote, so it's really cool that you brought that up. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Brian has brought a lot of people through a lot of times in their lives when they needed you know, the right song for those moments. So it's always super great to hear from other fans that I can relate to.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate that email and would love to hear more of your stories anytime. So hit us up and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast, man. It's what we love to do. And speaking of that, if you guys love what we do and find value in the podcast, please consider becoming a patron of the show Head over to patreon.com slash on and you can gain access to a lot of fun stuff like bonus episodes and grab bags and t-shirts and all types of stuff. So check it out. It's kind of a way for us to give you more content and also a way for you to support the show and help us keep doing what we're doing. So thanks. And I wanted to Give a shout out to a couple patrons: Robert Cheely, Drive By Zuckus, Lee Parker, Troy Owens, and Matt Kaminsky. Thank you guys very much for your support. All right, so we got a brand new segment on the show. Every now and then we're going to check in with Beach Boys historian David Beard. We've got David on the phone. So, David, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
0: Oh, I appreciate you having me on. Um, well, Unless Summer Quarterly is a Beach Boys digest size magazine, so considered the group's publication of record. I guess that's the closest thing you can get to calling it official. Uh, it's an independent platform, uh, meaning I talk to all the Beach Boys, depending about their activities or when we're looking at something uh, in terms of the anniversary of an album and things along that line. I've been doing it for over 25 years now. Uh, It's great. I enjoy it. It's a historical publication in that we really do our due diligence in terms of diving in and and providing the reader with uh, not just accurate information, but historic information. And sometimes that means getting into minutia. Uh, (laughs) For me, I'm not a musician, so usually when I get into the minutia, what that means is uh, just a, maybe a story that hasn't been told before or or a look at or for perspective of an album or a song on an album that hasn't really, uh, or a moment during a recording session or something that hasn't been, for lack of a better word, revealed before. Those are the things I enjoy the most. Um And the greatest thing I've been able to do with Endless Summer Quarterly is have all the guys, when I independently interview them, and have them all say really great things about one another. And that happens on a number of occasions. And that's really when I feel the best, is when I get them talking great about one another, when if you were to read an article or something online, you'd think the opposite, that that's not been my experience at at all.
1: That's very awesome. So what's coming up for Endless Summer Quarterly?
0: There's a few things that are kind of in in the works. Uh, But the thing that, and and sometimes these are, the only term that's coming to mind is happy accidents, but it's not really a happy situation at all. And in in that we lost uh, Daryl Dragon of Captain and Tennille recently. And the reason I say it's, use the kind of happy accident term, is that the way that everyone is kind of coming forward and talking about Daryl, and it gives it, it provides such great content. So I've interviewed Daryl's brother, the only surviving dragon brother, Doug, I've interviewed him. I've interviewed uh, Daryl's working partner uh, all those years, Tony Tennille. And I'm getting lots of pictures. It's the funniest thing because there's so many rare pictures. It's hard to find pictures of Daryl in the group, let alone Tony in the group. And I'm some, there's some pictures coming forward, and that that is cool because I'm a visual guy. <laughs> so I love the fact that I'm getting pictures of Captain and Tennille with the group. Um, that's really neat. And uh, so it's for, and and I, I did an interview with Daryl Dragon back in 2002. And I went back and listened to it because I have one of those old tape recorders. And it was just so nice to hear his voice again and, and just sit and just visit with, with, with him again now that he's gone. Uh, so that was kind of maybe a little nostalgic. Um, and it was moving just to kind of hear him again after he passed. But uh, I plan on talking to am trying to get... Uh... Hopefully by the time I go to press, we'll have Al Jardine, Mike Love also, and Blondie Chaplin all talking about uh, Daryl as well. And then 2020 album, because these uh, sessions, the, you know these digital releases came out. And this is a fun fact that I'll share with you uh, and your listeners, if you want to share it with them, is uh, the Live in London album... And it's got a fascinating history in that two different boards were recording the show, Steve Desper at, at one of the, the venues, and then at the, another venue, Jeff Americk, who was an engineer for the Beatles, which, with Richard Lush, who also worked on Beatle releases. And I discovered that because for Christmas, I got the Beatles' White Album 6-disc set. And I was looking at the tape boxes and the recording sheets, and I compared the handwriting for the initials G E, Jeff Emmerich and R L, Richard Lush, to that on the tape box for their Live in London album recorded by EMI, because EMI decided they wanted their own recording. And I, rec- I compared the notes, and sure enough, Jeff Emmerich, <laughs> the Beatles engineer, recorded the Live in London show, which was what ended up getting released. That's pretty cool, and not even Bruce Johnston, who knows everything, knew that. You know, so that, that was, that's, like I said, the minutiae, these neat little things that you can overturn and and, and and just know that the Beatles engineer actually recorded a live album for the Beach Boys. It's just kind of neat. So that's just, you know, one of those things. So I'm going to do a little kind of side piece um, on that with, uh, I would interviewed Mark Lynette and Nellon Boyd, so we talk about that a little bit. And I'm going to show the tape box and things like that and go into like a... I never know until I actually lay out the magazine how things are going to go, you know, in terms of a sidebar or things like that. But, uh, you know, I'm going to do my own little thing about Emmerich and Richard Lush working on that particular album. Uh, Because I just think it's just, you know, pretty pretty cool. Um, Also 2020, and I don't know how soon or what, but I'm going to have an exclusive interview with Brent Wilson, who's doing a Brian Wilson documentary um, before that hits, you know, whenever they sell that, whenever that comes out. Uh, There's a few things I can't talk about yet, but also going to do kind of really dig into the Reverberation album, which kind of was the last Capitol contractual album for the Beach Boys that then when their Capitol agreement ended, their contract ended, They then started, you know, know, reverberation then became, I don't think it ever was actually the Fading Rock Group revival. I think that's just something Bruce said in an interview at the time. But it was reverberation, and then eventually, after some song shifting, uh, it became eventually Sunflower. So, and Sunflower is, for me personally, just, just just a really beautiful Beach Boys expression. So that it's so easy for me to be uh, passionate about putting these things together because y- you know you have to really care about what you're talking about with the subjects. When you get, I think that's part of why the Beach Boys enjoy talking to me. They just hear that passion in when I'm talking to them, you know, digging in and saying, you know, what do you remember about recording Sunflower at Brian's house, you know, and and just just getting into that and that camaraderie that took place and that. And the kind of the coming together, the mindset of just making great music as a group, and that's what Sunflower is.:
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's a great record, and it's a great band record because everybody's kind of contributing in their own way. You got some great songs from Brian, but also from Dennis and Bruce. So yeah, really, really love it. And uh, that's really crazy what you found out about the the seventy three record, the live record. that's amazing. Uh, looking forward to reading the Daryl Dragon interviews as well. Really sad about his passing recently. But um, how can people subscribe to Endless Summer Quarterly?
0: It's really easy to do. Uh, our website address is e s q u a r t e r l y dot com. So it's e s dot com. And uh, you can even order right on your phone, like as if you were on Amazon Prime or something. Um, so it's just really easy to use. You find, a, find an edition that you like about a specific album, maybe Pet Sounds or the Good Vibrations or Friends, whatever it is. You can just kind of find that. Um, and they're mostly done by 50th anniversary. So if you wanted to look up Pet Sounds, you'd go to 2016 editions, you know, 50 years ago, 1966. So that's kind of how the magazine, for the most part, is, has been published. That's not always true, but for the most part. And um, <clears throat> we even have a smile shop, so if you like the album Smile, you can go there, and it's just the smile issues we've done. Then they're very easy to order. Just click on them, put them in your cart, and order away. So um, it's esquarterly.com, and there's different buttons. It's just easy to navigate, thankfully, after all these years, and this is just Last summer's when we launched the new WordPress site that that is mobile friendly, tablet friendly, desktop friendly, so it's really easy to navigate.
1: Awesome. Well, my last question for you has to do with our topic of this episode. It's the Beach Boys party. Did you have any insight and anything you'd want to throw in to the discussion?
0: Well, that's easy for me. When 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 it, you know back in 2015. Um, Man, uncovered and unplugged is if you're depending on. And I realize most people don't have uncovered and unplugged. I think the general public just has that original party album that was released. And that, what I say to that original album is, it does catch them like all their early albums do. Catches them, and you can hear their. You know, they're they're all guys in their early 20s or mid 20s, and you can hear that. You get to hear kind of the spontaneity. Uh, with the exception of the overdubs. I like the overdubs that Brian produced because it is family that he brought in to do that. Um, So I like that that intimate element from that perspective. But the Uncovered and Unplugged two-disc set is is a real kind of door-opening listening experience because you get to... You know, all the dates are listed on the back of uh, when the sessions took place. You get to hear more of even the brothers interacting where Carl is saying, you know, Dennis, that's really mean. <laughs> there's, so, and, and there's a few. If you really listen, there's a really interesting historic thing that takes place. At one point, Mike says, oh, so he got his check and he just left. I'm not going to say who he's talking about, but you have to listen. And if you really listen, you'll know. Um <laughs> And it's interesting. It's a very telling It's a very telling part of Beach Boys history. Um, but the great thing about it... You get to hear moments that are just so... Uh, one, you get to hear how great the Beach Boys were as a band. That's, you know, first and foremost to my ear and what I experienced. The other great thing is to hear Al, Al- Jardine singing Blowing in the Wind. I mean... How that didn't make the album is beyond me. Um, it's, it's just, and it shows what the Beach Boys loved. You know, there's, they play little bits of songs really quickly, and then they go into something else. But it's so cool to hear in 1965 what influenced the Beach Boys, what was on the radio, what they were picking up on. And it's not just Brian Wilson, you know. It's kind of, we were just mentioning Sunflower and, and 65 really points to how, how they developed. You, you know, that, that they could all be counted on. It re- really just shows you, any listener, how, how really great they were. as a collective. And why Brian knew he could rely on them to go out and supplement and recreate his songs faithfully on the road.
1: Great stuff. Thank you for doing this. We look forward to checking back in with you. And everybody head on over to esquarterly.com. Sure, I appreciate it. So we left off. In July of 1965 the band just released their latest album Summer Days and Summer Nights and on July 12th they released their new single California Girls on the same day as the California Girls release Brian called up the wrecking crew to work on his arrangement of an old folk song called the John B Sails also known as the wreck of the John B or as we now know it Sloop John B it was Al Jardine who originally suggested that they try the song since he was the big folk music fan of the group and he had already loved that song and performed it um, many times in his folk band. And the basic track was completed that day with the Wrecking Crew in 14 takes. And that would lay dormant for several months. And I think we'll obviously get into that more very soon. But on July 19th, Beach Boys are on tour in the South, and they played in Nashville, Tennessee at the Municipal Auditorium with the Searchers and the Zombies. So good. And I thought that was really awesome. I, dri- I I walk or drive by that place almost every day, and it's always on my mind thinking about being able to go see the Beach Boys there and the Zombies in 1965. Yeah, can you imagine
2: seeing those two? I mean, two of I mean, like my favorite band and another band that's like top five, right? Like top five or 10 or whatever. Yep. In their prime.
1: Yep. It's at unbelievable. The same time.
2: Yeah. It's crazy, man. I just, if there's, if there's anyone who's listening to the, our show and it was at that show, somehow miraculously, you're, you're, you're definitely going to be on the older spectrum of our listeners. But man, call or email or, however you can get in touch with this i want to know about this what you remember of it
1: it is interesting we haven't gotten a lot of firsthand accounts from the 60s uh beach boys shows we get a lot of people that have seen them in the 70s and 80s but if you have seen them in 65 and and uh remember some interesting tidbits and want to talk about it please let us know that would be great yeah um, if you're
2: looking for a reason to call or write in
1: and yeah. you're in that group do it yeah for sure um but uh, I thought I I read an interesting quote about that show um, and it said that at the hotel after the concert, the zombies taught the Beach Boys how to play football or as we know it, soccer. And I thought that was hilarious. Um, probably in the hotel hallway, you got Colin Blundstone and Brian Wilson kicking a soccer ball around. Pretty nuts. But moving on, July 26th, back in L.A., Dennis married his girlfriend, Carol Freeman. And We talked a little bit about her on a previous episode, but um, she had a one-year-old son, and Dennis adopted her son and would go on to treat him like his own. And they moved in together and had a farm with tons of animals, and for the time being, it was... Um, happily ever after but that will be continued in august the beach boys went on a short trip to hawaii for two shows with dino desi and billy who were kind of a super group of like celebrity children so you know you've got um billy Hinchy, um desi arnaz jr and dino who was a dean martin jr so yeah and I mean, were, all
2: those kids went to high school with carl
1: yeah so they all went to the the same like professional high school that carl went to and um they were all buddies and uh carl was uh dating billy's sister annie at the time so really cool and i'm sure they had a great time on that trip on august 22nd carl and mike visited the Beatles backstage at their Portland, Oregon show. And, uh, Carl was a huge fan of the Beatles. So I'm sure he was thrilled to see them. Um, and when they were talking, Paul asked where Brian was and why he wasn't on the road with them. And Carl replied, Oh, he gave up touring so he can stay home and produce records. And Paul said, that's actually a good idea. And the Beatles ended up stopping touring just a few months later. So who knows? I don't know if that's really how it went down but you know it's kind of a cool little tidbit on august 26th they were on a midwest canada tour and this is where jason they did some shows with sir douglas quintet yes and also sunny and share love that too yeah very cool um and then august 30th there were some really bizarre singles that they released um the first one was 10 Little Indians <laughs> backed with She Knows Me Too Well. And the second one was Be True to Your School with In My Room. I have no idea that what was released. single in, releases were about. That was released in America? That was released in America on Capitol Records.
2: Uh, 10 Little Indians. Good job, guys.
1: If you have any information on this Beach Boys Unsolved Mystery, please let us know. I have no idea. I just found like pictures of these records, so they do exist. But uh, man, yeah. Let us know what is going on with these singles. Anyway, so having just released Summer Days and Summer Nights, a month earlier, Capitol was already asking for a new album, For the holiday season to put out in october since they released the christmas album the previous year they needed something new and brian wasn't ready to make a full album of original material yet as we know he was working on some new songs and was really really getting into some experimental ideas and spending more time in the composition and and arranging so he came up with the idea to make a quick folk inspired pseudo live album and to do it in the studio with fake overdubs to make it sound like it was recorded at a Beach Boys party. Um, on August 23rd through September 27th, they came in for a few sessions and gathered around with acoustic guitars, some bongos, tambourine, harmonica, and electric bass and brought in a few friends um, such as uh, Annie and Billy Hinchy uh, Dean Torrance, Marilyn Wilson, Terry Melcher, Ron Swallow, Hal Blaine, and did a ton of covers and a few originals that would be whittled down to what we now know as Beach Boys Party. And just for the record, we're not going to cover all the songs they recorded because that would take us forever. And they did quite a few songs that were not put on the album. And um Luckily, now it's been officially released, so if you want to, you can check out The Beach Boys Party, Uncovered and Unplugged, which has pretty much everything they recorded. Tons of covers, so awesome songs like um, You've Lost That Love and Feelin', Ticket to Ride, uh, Satisfaction, Ruby Baby, they do California Girls. Um, It's really cool, it's really worth checking out, but we're just going to focus on the actual released album for this episode and we'll probably get into the others at some point down the road. That's for Cormac. So there you go. That's something we can throw in. (laughs) But uh, the first track on the record is Hully Gully. This was originally done by the Olympics. And we got Mike Love taking the lead here. But everybody on this record kind of just chimes in and shouts and kind of, you know, they all kind of team up on lead vocals from here and there. And so hard to really say who's on lead sometimes, but uh, primarily it's Mike on this one.
2: Well, there's a dance written around like
1: an awful disease. Holy, holy, holy. You just shake your shoulders and you wiggle your knees. Like holy, holy, holy. Well, there's a dance written around.
2: Mike put some really cool like goofy personality in that vocal like kind of just is hamming it up as you can tell by listening to it. What do I think about it? I, I mean I'm a big fan of this album so I, I mean I'm not rating this or, or saying anything about this pure, you know based on artistic nature but just as in like fun and, and do I want to listen to it? Heck yeah. Um, I don't know. Holy Gully's great. They sound great. I like that. I kind of like that, even though it's just kind of like gang vocally and kind of strange, in a way. It has a really big sound. If you, especially if you put some headphones on and you listen to this stuff, it really fills up the spectrum. You know, because it's not as produced. It's a lot more raw. There's a lot more like kind of in your face shouting. So you, if you, if you want to put it that way. So, uh, are, are we going to rate these? Why? Yeah. Okay, so Holly Gully on the scale of the party scale, I'm going with a solid five out of ten for Holly Gully.
1: Yeah, so you know, generally speaking, I think um, the idea is really cool. Um, the song selection is interesting and makes sense. Um, they just kind of picked a bunch of stuff that they were listening to and songs they knew, um, and most of them were hits in their own right. So it was easy to market this record. Um, Holy Gully, I think is fine. It's not the most amazing thing in the world, but I've always enjoyed it. I've always um, liked the vocals on it. And yeah, like you were saying, it sounds great. I think they did a great job getting a really cool sound out of a really kind of sparse arrangement. And it really does sound like you're at a Beach Boys party. But for Holy Gully, um, I give it a 5 out of 10 as well just right smack dab in the middle. Boom. Oh. Next is I should have known better by the Beatles. This was Carl's favorite Beatles song. And on both of these Beatles songs in a row, you've got Carl and Al kind of teaming up on them and I think obviously um Carl and Al are big Beatles fans. So I know they had a lot of fun with this. But you can also tell that Brian knows the songs pretty well and is um, really getting into it. So um, really enjoyed this. Really love hearing uh, Carl and Al on it. And I give it a 6 out of 10. Of course, it's a wonderful song. And um, they don't really do anything to reinvent it at all, but it's just great hearing the Beach Boys having a little party with some Beatles songs.
2: Man, I love it I love the looseness of it I love the bongos I mean the whole album's loose so I don't even need to say that anymore but um, I love the bongos love the spirit of it um, I'm gonna go actually 6 out of 10 for this on the party
1: scale third track another Beatles song sung by Carl and Al. this is Tell Me Why and again really really love it they don't do anything too crazy Brian ad-libs a couple new little backing vocal parts but uh, really great harmonies Um, I think that's some great bass playing by Bruce on this oh yeah Uh, I give it a 6 out of 10 as well
2: Now, I'm rating all these, I have to preface this, Wyatt, I'm not rating any of this as regular Beach Boys songs, except for maybe one or two. Well, they're not
1: Beach Boys songs.
2: Right. I'm rating this on what I've referred to already as the party scale. That's fine. And on this party scale, Tell Me Why is a 7 out of 10. I really dig this song anyway, no matter who's doing it. So, the fact that my favorite band is doing my second favorite band's awesome song, so in. So, I love
1: I love this one. Moving on, Papa Ooh Mau Mau, the song that will not die. Back again for one last ride. So, this is one that they've been doing live for a couple of years now. and uh, Obviously, they just... You know, for some reason or another, they just keep playing it. They love it. Their fans probably loved it. It was originally by the Rivingtons. And pretty much more the same here. You got Brian and Mike taking the lead. Brian uh, hitting those crazy high notes at the end. But, you know, just some cool party vibes going on. I would probably say I give it a 5 out of 10. I wonder what I gave this on the concert album. Probably a 4 out of 10. But I'll give this a 5 out of 10. Oh, "Papa Umau Mau
2: Stone Cold Beach Boys classic. <laughs> uh, "Papa Mau Mau, a staple of the Beach Boys early repertoire, gets
1: a 3 out of 10 from me here on Party. Whoa. I was being very generous when I gave it a 5 out of 10. I think I'm just happy to see this song go away so five out of ten because i'm happy to see you go and it's been fun but it's time
0: yeah. Can't seem to remember all the words.
1: Track 5 is Mountain of Love, originally by Harold Dorman. And it's a fun little song. I think Mike does a great job on it, it's one of my favorites. Uh, on the record as far as Mike's lead And I really enjoy it I give it a 6 out of 10 Standing on a mountain Looking down on a city The way I feel is a doggone pity Tear drops falling down the mountainside Many times I've been here Many times I've cried We used to be so happy When we were in love High on a mountain of love after night, I'm standing here alone, weeping out my heart till the cold rain dawn. Laying at you, lonely, and you come here too. Oh my goodness! just the a chance that I'll get
0: a glimpse of you. Trying hard to find you somewhere
1: in love.
0: High on a mountain of love. A mountain of love, a mountain
1: of love. You should be ashamed. You used to be. Love, but you just change your name. Way down below there's a half a million
2: people. Mountain of Love is a very special recording for me. Hey, when I do this, you should put like sappy music behind it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's really funny. Mountain of Love is a very special recording to me, it was one of the very first songs that I ever played in my band, The Explorers Club, before Wyatt was playing with us, many years ago, so it's always had a really special place in my heart, and the Beach Boys version is my favorite version, not the Johnny Rivers, Johnny Rivers is fine, but I love Mike Love's interpretation of this, even though it's just kind of a goofy throwaway, like most of this album. I loved this version and I kind of made up my own little version based on theirs. That was very similar. And so I really am a big fan out of of Mountain of Love. It's another seven for me.
1: Next up, we have yet another Beatles song. This time it's You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. um, A song that was recently released in america and it's wonderfully sung by dennis and they actually did this live for a little while and let dennis kind of take the spotlight and uh i think it's a great great song it might be my favorite on the record it's really really touching dennis sounds awesome and i've always loved this song anyway but again it's just really really cool to hear the beach boys do it in this setting and i give it a 7 out of 10. Hey! You've got to
2: Dennis singing You've Got to Hide Your Love Away is one of the most sincere moments on this record, so I'm hanging with you right there on that seven.
1: Next up is Devoted to You by the Everly Brothers. Sung by Mike and Brian. Incredible. I really dig it as well. It's a song that my mom and I sing in harmony because I grew up... uh, hearing my dad listen to Beach Boys but also my mom was more into bluegrass and country music and she loved the Everly Brothers and she would play this song when I was a kid and sing it to me and um, often at family get-togethers we'll sing this one together so it's very special to me I give it a seven out of ten I think the Beach Boys do it wonderfully and it's a sweet little tender moment on this silly album I'll never hurt you, I'll never lie I'll never be untrue I'll never give you reason to cry I'd be unhappy if you were blue
2: Through the years my love I mean, on the party scale, this is a 8 out of 10. Devoted to You is easily the best track on this record. It's the best moment. It's the moment they tried, actually tried to really get it, as you can tell. I love the story Mike Love told about him and Brian singing Everly Brothers songs when they were younger together, and you can really tell they just lock in. I mean, their voices, especially at this point, were pretty much their peak for both of them. Like just perfect, yeah. And it's it's so evident on this cover. And the great thing is, if you can find the, I believe it's the Hawthorne Collection, Wyatt, that has this without the party talking on it. And I think that also might be on that newer outtakes disc that came out. Yeah, all of that is right. So, anyhow, this. You know if, if you have a friend who's like kind of getting into the beach boys and they're wanting to say oh uh, what's this party record about Just point him to that song first and say you know take what you will with the rest of this record but make sure you hear this because this is where I mean this is worth going buying a used copy of this on vinyl or something
1: agreed really really love it flip it on over to side two and we're starting off with ali Oop originally by the Hollywood Argyles their name is cooler uh, than that song this is my least favorite song on the record but it's still fine it's not bad the beach boys do it in the way that they uh, in the best way they can and I think it's really fun but it's not a great song in my opinion uh, I give it a four out of
2: ten. Cool. It's another 3 out of 10 for me. Um, It's just, you know, a throwaway. It's something I can tell that Brian and Mike definitely were really into this song. I don't know about the other guys, though. I kind of wonder if they're sitting around thinking, what is this? But I know that this is definitely Brian Wilson and Mike Love. Where they connect on the universe is right here, evident in this song.
1: Yeah, it's another, like, Papa Ooh Mau Mau type sing Man, song. they loved that stuff,
2: didn't they? They do. Gosh. To this day, they both still talk about this stuff in, in interviews if you go looking for it.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, three. Next up is There's No Other Like My Baby by The Crystals, originally. So good. And uh, this one's awesome. This is, like, definitely the high point of Side 2. And it's really well sung and well played and what a great song to begin with It doesn't hurt at all and obviously brian really loved this record and um, i love hearing al sing the high harmony on it i think that's what catches my ear the most how awesome the vocals are and brian just sounds amazing like you were saying he's probably at the peak of his vocal powers incredible yeah really great I give it a 7 out of 10
2: It's 8 out of 10 for me, tied with uh, Devoted to You. This is the other reason you tell your friend to get Party on Vinyl. Because Wyatt knows, and lots of my closest friends know, that Phil Spector records are a huge deal to me. And so when my favorite guys do arguably my second favorite catalog, man, And just like how much I freak out for uh, So Young on Today, I flip for this track. So do not sleep on this track.
1: Oh, yeah. I really like it, man. Uh, And moving on, we've got a medley of Beach Boys Originals. They had to throw something in there and this is i get around and little deuce coop and it's kind of unnecessary but um they kind of just are a little bit too goofy on this for me to be honest i'm not crazy about it uh i like that mike changes some of the lyrics around that's kind of funny he says we always take my car even though it's a heap and stuff like that it's just silly but I'll give it a 4 out of 10.
2: I'm getting awfully mad driving down the street. I
1: just don't want to bug sitting next to my sweets. The other guys are pretty tough. So those other
2: gats over there better not get tough. On the party scale, this is a 2. <laughs> This is garbage. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's not good. If, anybody,
2: if anybody's going to ride in and be mad that I trashed this terrible version of two amazing songs, get out of <laughs> here.
1: Get out of yeah. here. I mean, again, I think they just had to do something, and I mean, they could have done it when this song you know, when this song comes on. I think, oh,
2: the garbage man is coming by because this stinks. Yeah, well. Tell us how you really feel. I did. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, they're having fun. They're making fun of themselves.
1: I always skip it. Even if I'm listening yeah, yeah. to the
2: vinyl, I just
1: move it. Well, we'll get to that. But uh, moving on, we've got The Times They Are a changin a Bob Dylan song, sung by Al. And he also does. Um, Another Bob Dylan song on the entire session if you listen for it, which is great. I'm not going to spoil it. Go check it out. But this one is fantastic. I love it so much. It's another high point for me for this record because I love Al's voice. And I think it's really sweet. And he obviously loves Bob Dylan and loves folk music. And what an inspiring time for the Beach Boys. They've got all this awesome music coming out. And... Beatles and Bob Dylan were such great artists to try and you know keep up with and they were obviously really inspired by these guys so I think it's great they put this on there and I give it a 7 out of 10
0: Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pen and keep your eyes wide the chance won't come again and don't speak too soon for the wheels still in spin
1: and there's no telling who that it's naming Cause a loser now will be later to win For well, the times,
0: they are a change.
2: Great. Six out of ten for me. Al's really trying. He's trying to really kind of wedge that folk in there. And a funny thing is, if you listen to the session versions and this version too, you kind of get the sense that Mike loves just tolerating this. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's that's what I take away from it, which shame on Mike if that was the case. But, man, I love Dylan. love the Beach Boys. Dylan and Beach Boys together. What could go wrong? Wait a minute. It did go wrong much later in their career, but that's a different story. We'll get to that. Just be patient. Oh. But. <laughs> but, yeah, I love this. You know, 6 out of 10, <sighs> it's great. Al just in his element the guys in the band just having fun with it. Awesome to hear them kind of cover a message song which is not normal for the Beach Boys.
1: Nope. So next up the most important song on this record I would say is Barbara Ann originally by the Regents and this one features Dean Torrance although he's uncredited but we all know he's there he's singing the lead with Brian and I think you can hear Carl say thanks Dean on the recording I think he was next door recording with Jan and Dean uh in the same studio at Western and like left the studio to go see what the Beach Boys were doing and then just jumped on this track I think it sounds awesome with with Dean and Brian kind of doubling the high part actually really really makes the song pop And this is one of the best sounding songs on the record, I think. And what I think is the the definitive version of this song. And I don't think they were intending that at all. But when you think Barbara Ann, you think the Beach Boys. And this song was a single release in December on the 20th. And uh, the B-side was Girl Don't Tell Me, which is awesome. One-two punch. And I think uh, it's obvious now, but I, I think I bet they were surprised at how well this did. Uh, the week ending January 29th, the song leapt from number 15 to number 2, and it was in position to replace We Can Work It Out by The Beatles as the next number 1 song, but My Love by Pachula Clark so unexpectedly good. vaulted into the number 1 position.
2: It's a big song.
1: Yeah, so it stayed at number 2, but um, it reached number one on Cashbox, and it was number three in the UK. It was their high It was their highest-charting UK single to date. Yeah, I mean, they didn't hit their peak there till right starting with this. Exactly, we would continue to see that love grow over the next year or two, and uh, it topped the charts also in Germany, Switzerland, and Norway. It was the Beach Boys' biggest hit in Italy, reaching number four. So a really big, big hit all over the world for the Beach Boys, and that um it's pretty crazy considering it's a cover and just kind of a throwaway you know contractual fulfillment release basically they didn't want it out as a single yeah i mean they, they had to have a single though and they they obviously they recorded a single to be released and we'll get to that next time but um the little girl i once knew was going to be their new single <laughs> But this ended up being a big hit, and that's great because it opened up some some more doors for Brian to do what he wanted. And uh, I really dig it, man. It's a it's a fun song. I know it's um, kind of played out at this point, and man, I I can't say that you know I could even recall what the Regent's version sounds like at this point because I've heard the Beach Boys version so much, but. Um, I like it a lot, man. I give it a 6 out of 10 on this record.
2: Oh, on the party scale, this is a 7 out of 10 for me. It's definitely the definitive track on this record, as you were discussing. This song always sounds like either something that came out of the 50s or totally folk rock 60s, depending on which mix you hear. I know that sounds strange, but... Because if you listen to like the more modern remastered and, and stuff that comes out, it really captures the essence of the kind of loose folk Greenwich Village sing-along Newport Folk Festival thing that Brian was trying to do with this. You know, I know that sounds strange because it's not a traditional folk style song, but it just sounds a little trippy, like especially how Brian and Dean are kind of a little out of tune of each other, but just out of tune in the right way, and it's kind of out of phase, even in a weird way. They're a little out of sync. So it's got a weird, trippy vibe, and I know I'm analyzing Barbara Ann really heavy here, which is ridiculous, but... That's what we all do. That to, I know. But all that to say, there's some real magic in this. There's a reason why this was so huge everywhere, and I know it's the cliche song, and... It's not the coolest Beach Boys tune ever, but this is a super important record for them. This brought as many people into the fold as any of their other songs up to this point. You go see the Beach Boys now, or when we play a Beach Boys tribute show, people flip their wigs and everything else for this song. And there's a reason. There's some magic to how easy it is to sing and, you know... (sighs) I don't know. It's just hard to put, put it out any further other than it's a great record no matter what you think about it.
1: They re-recorded this song in 1987 as a tribute to their favorite baseball team. Wait. No, it's not a tribute uh, to the their Dodgers. favorite baseball team. It's a tribute to the Cubs. Hmm. It, Interesting. This is, a la- this is a landmark recording. Interesting.
2: I love this version of this song. <laughs>
0: cubs, 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 here come the cubs. Cubs, 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 here come the heart the cubs,
1: cubs. cubs,
0: here
2: on the party scale, here, <laughs> the party here come the Cubs. Scale. On the party this scale, this is not on the party here,
1: scale. Yeah. This ah. is this stands alone as a Beach Boys classic. Re-
2: it does. Look, here come the Cubs. Is <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate encapsulation of Mike Love. Here yeah. come the Cubs is really great. Once you hear it, it will never leave you. It will stay stay with you forever. Well, it. It just lives in a special place in your heart for the rest of your life so here come the cubs baby
1: i want to know how the people that were beach boys fans and la dodger fans felt about the beach boys doing a a tribute to the cubs I want to know how they felt about that. That's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, that's got to be real weird.
2: And I also know there's a lot of you out there very passionate about how much you can't stand all the sellout covers that they did in the 80s, especially. So please, you know Wyatt, that's a great bonus episode. Sell out Beach Boys songs. There's enough. Ugh. It'll be a really sad podcast, though. There's so many. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty, Here Come the Cubs. Uh, Oh, any of the the Almost Summer with the alternate lyrics about the radio station. Oh, yeah, that's great. Anyway. Gay Earth 101. It's almost summer.
1: The album was released November 8th, and it quickly leaped into the top 10 peaked at number 6 on the Billboard 200 they did some awesome um, kind of promotional stuff for this the uh, original release included a sheet of photographs sort of like trading cards which depicted the band at the party and um, I was lucky enough to get a very very good condition uh, original pressing of this LP and it had the the little photo insert completely in perfect condition inside. So I think that's one of my favorite things in my record collection. I really love it. And they also promoted it with uh, a million bags of potato chips, which bore the album's cover art. And I don't think anyone has one of these bags of potato chips or these like um, used bags. I think somebody was looking for one a while back and I couldn't, tell you i didn't see anyone that came up with it so but i mean they say that it happened there are people that say they remember it and that they had it but they're all gone apparently unfortunately so i'd love to see that and uh they also coordinated a uh like a floor merchandiser display that contained five beach boys lps uh and then full color window displays and full scale radio and newspaper advertising. They did a lot to pump this album for the holidays and it did really well, obviously. Um, but I do think it's great that you hear like like David Beard was saying that uh, you hear all the Beach Boys kind of contributing and getting pumped about these songs and um, it really is a Beach Boys production and Brian is calling most of the shots but that production credit really should have been the Beach Boys because they were the ones really making this record happen it it just it did feel really natural even though it was kind of thrown together in the studio it did feel like a party and I understand just like you know when we reviewed the Beach Boys concert I feel like you know for a teenager at the time who would have seen this album and picked it up man that would have been such a thrill to like to see these pictures on the cover, um, and the cover, by the way, is brilliant. It's it's really well designed. One of the best Beach Boys album covers, and uh, it really does look like you're just, you know, kind of invited to this private Beach Boys party with them and their friends. And I think that's one of the neatest little fantasies that you know a teenager could have. It's so cool, and I would I would give the album. For me here today a 5 out of 10 but were i a teenager in 1965 and bought this record i might have given it a 10 out of 10 to be honest i think that would have been the biggest thrill
2: i think for me it's also a 5 out of 10 not on the party scale on the real scale it's it's what it is it's great for what it is. It's really enjoyable and a fun record. I've always felt it was fun and I've always really liked it. It's not landmark. It's not groundbreaking. It's just fun. So, yeah, that's my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely go listen to the Uncovered and Unplugged uh, two CD set because there's some really cool moments on there that aren't on the the official release. And uh, let us know what you think about it because Um, that's the discussion that we want to open up but uh, if you remember getting that record in 1965 let us know what that was like because that would be really cool to hear about and uh, I think we're going to stop there in the timeline in uh, September of 1965 and we'll pick up next time talking about something we've been talking about for the past few episodes. And that is the relationship between the Beatles and the Beach Boys. So that's next time. Thank you guys for listening. As always, find us on the web at sailonsounds.com or on Instagram and Twitter at sailonsounds. And then our email is sailonpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 615-606-3887. Our lovely music is provided by Will C at willcmusic.com. Thanks for hanging out, Jason.
2: Always great to spend time with you and all our listeners. It's a
1: joy. And we'll see you guys real soon. Sail on, sailors.
2: Here come the Cubs.